I don't know who needs to hear this, but we have just quietly released the first episode of our long-awaited audiobook adaption of Jane Austen's Persuasion. We've submitted it to all the usual streaming platforms, so go and search for it where you listen to podcasts to see it, to see it, to find it, to listen to it. I think that's the point. Podcasts, you don't use your eyes, you use your ears. Anyway, it's going to be available there soon, so you should go and find it um, and see if it's available yet. For more info about the podcast, visit our website, which is www.bnt.org.au. Chapter 55. A few days after this visit, Mr. Bingley called again, and alone. His friend had left him that morning for London, but was to return home in ten days' time. He sat with them above an hour, and was in remarkably good spirits. Mrs. Bennet invited him to dine with them, but, with many expressions of concern, he confessed himself engaged elsewhere. Please accept my most sincere apologies, Mrs. Bennet. Next time you call, I hope we shall be more lucky. I should be particularly happy to join you at any other time, whenever it is convenient to you. Indeed, you are quite right. We are much overdue for such an occasion. If you would but give me leave, I would be most gratified to take the earliest opportunity of waiting on you and your family. Can you come tomorrow? I most certainly can. I have no other engagement, and cannot imagine any other so agreeable as this. I should be delighted to join you. On the morrow he came, and in such very good time, that the ladies were none of them dressed. In ran Mrs. Bennet to her daughter's room, in her dressing gown, and with her hair half finished, crying out, Mighty Jane, make haste, and hurry down, he is come! Mr. Bingley is come! He is, indeed! Make haste! Make haste! Here, Sarah, come to Miss Bennet this moment and help her on with her gown. Oh, never mind Miss Lizzie's hair. We will be down as soon as we can, but I dare say Kitty is forwarder than any of us, for she went upstairs half an hour ago. Oh, hang Kitty. What has she to do with it? Come, be quick, be quick. Where is your sash, my dear? But when her mother was gone, Jane would not be prevailed on to go down without one of her sisters. The same anxiety to get them by themselves was visible again in the evening. After tea, Mr. Bennet retired to the library, as was his custom, and Mary went upstairs to her instrument. Two obstacles of the five being thus removed, Mrs. Bennet sat looking and winking at Elizabeth and Kitty for a considerable time, without making any impression on either. Elizabeth would not observe her, and when at last Kitty did, she said very innocently, what is the matter, Mama? What do you keep winking at me for? What am I to do? Nothing, child, nothing. I did not wink at you. She then sat still five minutes longer, but, unable to waste such a precious occasion, she suddenly got up and took Kitty out of the room, saying to her continued confusion, <clears throat> Come here, my love. I want to speak to you. But, Mama, I wish to remain. Surely it can wait. Jane instantly gave a look at Elizabeth, which spoke her distress at such premeditation and her entreaty that she would not give in to it. In a few minutes, Mrs. Bennet half opened the door and called out, Lizzie, my dear, I want to speak with you. And Elizabeth was forced to go. We may as well leave them by themselves, you know, Kitty and I going upstairs to sit in my dressing room, said her mother as soon as she was in the hall. 
Elizabeth made no attempt to reason with her mother, but remained quietly in the hall till she and Kitty were out of sight and then returned into the drawing room. Mrs. Bennet's schemes for this day were ineffectual. Bingley was everything that was charming, except the professed lover of her daughter. His ease and cheerfulness rendered him a most agreeable addition to their evening party, and he bore with the ill-judged officiousness of the mother and heard all her silly remarks with a forbearance and command of countenance particularly grateful to the daughter. He scarcely needed an invitation to stay supper, and, before he went away, an engagement was formed, chiefly through his own and Mrs. Bennet's means, of his coming next morning to shoot with her husband. After this day, Jane said no more of her indifference. Not a word passed between the sisters concerning Bingley, but Elizabeth went to bed in the happy belief that all must speedily be concluded, unless Mr. Darcy returned within the stated time. Seriously, however, she felt tolerably persuaded that all this must have taken place with that gentleman's concurrence. Bingley was punctual to his appointment, and he and Mr. Bennet spent the morning together, as had been agreed on. The latter was much more agreeable than his companion expected. There was nothing of presumption or folly in Bingley that could provoke his ridicule or disgust him into silence, and he was more communicative and less eccentric than the other had ever seen him. Bingley, of course, returned with him to dinner, and in the evening Mrs. Bennet's invention was again at work to get everybody away from him and her daughter. Elizabeth, who had a letter to write, went into the breakfast room for that purpose soon after tea, for as the others were all to sit down to cards, she could not be wanted to counteract her mother's schemes. But on returning to the drawing room when her letter was finished, she saw, to her infinite surprise, there was reason to fear that her mother had been too ingenious for her. On opening the door, she perceived her sister and Bingley standing together over the hearth, as if engaged in earnest conversation and had this led to no suspicion, the faces of both, as they hastily turned round and moved away from each other, would have told it all. Their situation was awkward enough, but hers, she thought still worse. Not a syllable was uttered by either, and Elizabeth was on the point of going away again, when Bingley, who was as well as the other had sat down, suddenly rose, and whispering a few words to her sister, ran out of the room. Jane could have no reserves from Elizabeth where confidence would give pleasure, and instantly embracing her, acknowledged with the liveliest emotion that she was the happiest creature in the world. It's too much, by far too much. I do not deserve it. Oh, why is not everybody as happy? Elizabeth's congratulations were given with a sincerity, a warmth, a delight, which words could but poorly express. Every sentence of kindness was a fresh source of happiness to Jane, but she would not allow herself to stay with her sister or say half that remained to be said for the present. I must go instantly to my mother. I would not, on any account, trifle with her affectionate solicitude or allow her to hear it from anyone else but myself. He has gone to my father already. Oh. <laughs> Lizzie, to know what I have to relate will give such pleasure to all my dear family. How shall I bear so much happiness? My darling Jane, bear it you must. <laughs> Jane then hastened away to her mother, who had purposely broken up the card party and was sitting upstairs with Kitty. Elizabeth, who was left by herself, now smiled at the rapidity and ease 
with which an affair that had given them so many previous months of suspense and vexation was finally settled. And this, she thought to herself, is the end of all his friends' anxious circumspection, of all his sister's falsehood and contrivance. (sighs) The happiest, wisest, most reasonable end. Within a few minutes, she was joined by Bingley, whose conference with her father had been short and to the purpose. Where is your sister? With my mother, up the stairs. She will be down in a moment, I dare say. He then shut the door and, coming up to her, claimed the good wishes and affection of a sister. Elizabeth honestly and heartily expressed her delight in the prospect of their relationship. They shook hands with great cordiality, and then, till her sister came down, she had to listen to all that he had to say of his own happiness and of Jane's perfections, and in spite of his being a lover, Elizabeth really believed all his expectations of felicity to be rationally founded, because they had for basis the excellent understanding and super-excellent disposition of Jane, and a general similarity of feeling and taste between her and himself. It was an evening of no common delight to them all. The satisfaction of Miss Bennet's mind gave a glow of such sweet animation to her face as made her look handsomer than ever. Kitty simpered and smiled, and hoped her turn was coming soon. Mrs. Bennet could not give her consent or speak her approbation in terms warm enough to satisfy her feelings, though she talked to Bingley of nothing else for half an hour, and when Mr. Bennet joined them at supper, his voice and manner plainly showed how really happy he was. Not a word, however, passed his lips in allusion to it till their visitor took his leave for the night, but as soon as he was gone, he turned to his daughter and said, Jane, I congratulate you. You will be a very happy woman. Jane went to him instantly, kissed him, and thanked him for his goodness. Thank you, Papa. You are a good girl, and I have great pleasure in thinking you will be so happily settled. I have not a doubt of your doing very well together. Your tempers are by no means unlike. (laughs) You are each of you so complying that nothing will ever be resolved on, so easy that every servant will cheat you, and so generous (laughs) that you will always exceed your income. Oh, I hope not so. (laughs) Imprudence or thoughtlessness in money matters would be unpardonable in me. Exceed their income? My dear Mr. Bennet, what are you talking of? Why, he has four or five thousand a year, and very likely more. Oh, 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 my dear, dear Jane, I am so happy. I am sure I shan't. Get a wink of sleep all night. I knew (laughs) how it would be. I always said it must be so at last. I was sure you could not be so beautiful for nothing. I remember as soon as ever I saw him, when he first came into Hertfordshire last year, I thought how likely it was that you should come together. Oh, (laughs) he is... The handsomest young man that ever was seen. (laughs) Wickham and Lydia were all forgotten. Jane was beyond competition her favourite child. At that moment, she cared for no other. Her younger sisters soon began to make interest with her for objects of happiness which she might in future be able to dispense. I should be most grateful, dear sister, to make full use of the library at Netherfield, if you would permit me upon occasion. Mary petitioned. Oh, and Jane, 
You simply must give us a few balls every winter. La, I cannot imagine better fun. I shall dance and be merrier than I have ever yet been. Oh, please say you shall. I should be miserable if you refused me. To think of your hosting your own balls. <laughs> Bingley, from this time, was of course a daily visitor at Longbourn, coming frequently before breakfast and always remaining till after supper, unless when some barbarous neighbour, who could not be enough detested, had given him an invitation to dinner, which he thought himself obliged to accept. Elizabeth had now but little time for conversation with her sister, for while he was present, Jane had no attention to bestow on anyone else, but she found herself considerably useful to both of them in those hours of separation that must sometimes occur. In the absence of Jane, he always attached himself to Elizabeth for the pleasure of talking of her, and when Bingley was gone, Jane constantly sought the same means of relief. He's made me so happy by telling me that he was totally ignorant of my being in town last spring. I had not believed it possible. I suspected as much. But how did he account for it? It must have been his sister's doing. They were certainly no friends to his acquaintance with me, which I cannot wonder at, since he might have chosen so much more advantageously in many respects. But when they see, as I trust they will, that their brother is happy with me, they will learn to be contented. And we shall be on good terms again. That is the most unforgiving speech that I have ever heard you utter. Good girl. It would vex me indeed to see you again the dupe of Miss Bingley's pretended regard. Would you believe it, Lizzie, that when he went to town last November, he really loved me, and nothing but a persuasion of my being indifferent would have prevented his coming down again. He made a little mistake, to be sure, but... It is to the credit of his modesty. This naturally produced a panegyric from Jane on his diffidence and the little value he put on his own good qualities. Elizabeth was pleased to find that he had not betrayed the interference of his friend, for, though Jane had the most generous and forgiving heart in the world, she knew it was a circumstance which must prejudice her against him. I am certainly the most fortunate creature that ever existed. Ah, oh, Lizzie... Why am I thus singled out from my family and blessed above them all? If I could but see you as happy, if there were but such another man for you. Oh, if you were to give me 40 such men, I could never be so happy as you. Till I have your disposition, your goodness, Jane, I can never have your happiness. No, 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 let me shift for myself and... Perhaps, if I have very good luck, I may meet with another Mr. Collins in time. <laughs> oh, oh, Lizzie. <laughs> the situation of affairs in the Longbourn family could not be long a secret. Mrs. Bennet was privileged to whisper it to Mrs. Phillips, and she ventured, without any permission, to do the same by all her neighbours in Meryton. The Bennets were speedily pronounced to be the luckiest family in the world, though, only a few weeks before, when Lydia had first run away, they had been generally proved to be marked out for misfortune. Chapter 56 One morning, about a week after Bingley's engagement with Jane had been formed, as he and the females of the family were sitting together in the dining room, their attention was suddenly drawn to the window. 
by the sound of a carriage. It was too early in the morning for visitors, and besides, the equipage did not answer to that of any of their neighbours. The horses were post, and neither the carriage nor the livery of the servants who preceded it were familiar to them. As it was certain, however, that somebody was coming, Bingley instantly prevailed on Miss Bennet to avoid the confinement of such an intrusion and walk away with him into the shrubbery. They both set off, and the conjectures of the remaining three continued, though with little satisfaction, till the door was thrown open and their visitor entered. It was Lady Catherine de Bourgh. They were, of course, all intending to be surprised, but their astonishment was beyond their expectation, and on the part of Mrs. Bennet and Kitty, though she was perfectly unknown to them, even inferior to what Elizabeth felt. She entered the room with an air more than usually ungracious, made no other reply to Elizabeth's salutation than a slight inclination of her head, and sat down without saying a word. Elizabeth had mentioned her name to her mother on her ladyship's entrance, though no request of introduction had been made. Mrs. Bennet, all amazement, though flattered by having a guest of such high importance, received her with the utmost politeness. After sitting for a moment in silence, she said very stiffly to Elizabeth, I hope you are well, Miss Bennet. That lady, I suppose, is your mother? She is. And that, I suppose, is one of your sisters? Yes, madam, she is my youngest girl but one. My youngest of all is lately married, and my eldest is somewhere about the grounds, walking with a young man who, I believe, will soon become a part of the family. (laughs) You have a very small park here. It is nothing in comparison of rosings, my lady, I dare say. But I assure you, it is much larger than Sir William Lucas's. This must be a most inconvenient sitting room for the evening in summer. The windows are full west. I can assure you, we never sit here after dinner. May I take the liberty of asking your ladyship... Whether you left Mr. and Mrs. Collins well? Yes, very well. I saw them the night before last. Elizabeth now expected that she would produce a letter for her from Charlotte, as it seemed the only probable motive for her calling. But no letter appeared, and she was completely puzzled. Mrs. Bennet, with greater civility, begged her ladyship to take some refreshment, but Lady Catherine, very resolutely and not very politely, declined eating anything, and then, rising up, said to Elizabeth, Miss Bennet, there seems to be a prettyish kind of little wilderness on one side of your lawn. I should be glad to take a turn in it, if you would favour me with your company. Go, my dear, and show her ladyship about the different walks. I think she will be pleased with the hermitage. Elizabeth obeyed, and running into her own room for her parasol, attended her noble guest downstairs. As they passed through the hall, Lady Catherine opened the doors into the dining parlour and drawing room, and, pronouncing them, after a short survey, to be decent-looking rooms, walked on. Her carriage remained at the door and Elizabeth saw that her waiting woman was in it. They proceeded in silence along the gravel walk that led to the copse. 
Elizabeth was determined to make no effort for conversation with a woman who was now more than usually insolent and disagreeable. How could I ever think her like her nephew? thought Elizabeth as she looked at Lady Catherine. As soon as they entered the copse, Lady Catherine began in the following manner. You can be at no loss, Miss Bennet, to understand the reason of my journey hither. Your own heart, your own conscience must tell you why I come. Elizabeth looked with unaffected astonishment. Indeed, you are mistaken, madam. I have not been at all able to account for the honour of seeing you Miss here. Miss Bennet, you ought to know that I am not to be trifled with. But however insincere you may choose to be, you shall not find me so. My character has ever been celebrated for its sincerity and frankness, and in a cause of such a moment as this I shall certainly not depart from it. A report of a most alarming nature reached me two days ago. I was told that not only your sister was on the point of being most advantageously married but that you, that Miss Elizabeth Bennet, would, in all likelihood, be soon afterwards united to my nephew, my own nephew, Mr. Darcy. Though I know it must be a scandalous falsehood, though I would not injure him so much as to suppose the truth of it possible. I instantly resolved on setting off for this place uh, that I might make my sentiments known to you. Elizabeth coloured with astonishment and disdain. If you believed it impossible to be true, I wonder. You took the trouble of coming so far. What could your ladyship propose by it? At once to insist upon having such a report universally contradicted. Your coming to Longbourn to see me and my family will be rather a confirmation of it, if, indeed... Such a report is in existence? If? Do you then pretend to be ignorant of it? Has it not been industriously circulated by yourselves? Do you not know that such a report is spread abroad? I never heard that it was. And can you likewise declare that there is no foundation for it? I do not pretend to possess equal frankness with your ladyship. You may ask questions which I shall not choose to answer. This is not to be borne. Miss Bennet, I insist on being satisfied. Has he, has my nephew made you an offer of marriage? Your ladyship has declared it to be impossible. It ought to be so, it must be so, while he retains the use of his reason. But your arts and allurements may, in a moment of infatuation, have made him forget what he owes to himself and to all his family. You may have drawn him in. If I have, I shall be the last person to confess it. Miss Bennet, do you know who I am? I have not been accustomed to such language as this. I am almost the nearest relation he has in the world, and I am entitled to know all his dearest concerns. But you are not entitled to know mine, nor will behaviour such as this ever induce me to be explicit. Let me be rightly understood. This match to which you have the presumption to aspire can never take place. No, never. 
Mr. Darcy is engaged to my daughter. Now what have you to say? Only this, that if he is so, you can have no reason to suppose he will make an offer to me. Lady Catherine hesitated for a moment and then replied, The engagement between them is of a peculiar kind. From their infancy they have been intended for each other. It was the favourite wish of his mother as well as of hers. While in their cradles we planned the union, and now, at the moment when the wishes of both sisters would be accomplished in their marriage, to be prevented by a young woman of inferior birth, of no importance in the world, and wholly unallied to the family? Do you pay no regard to the wishes of his friends? To his tacit engagement with Mr. Berg? Are you lost to every feeling of propriety and delicacy? Have you not heard me say from his earliest hours he was destined for his cousin? Yes, and I heard it before. But what is that to me? If there is no other objection to my marrying your nephew, I shall certainly not be kept from it by knowing his mother and aunt wished him to marry Mr. Berg. You both did as much as you could in planning the marriage. It's completion dependent on others. If Mr. Darcy is neither by honour nor inclination confined to his cousin, why is not he to make another choice? And if I am that choice, why may I not accept him? Because honour, decorum, prudence, nay, interest forbid it. Yes, Miss Bennet, interest For do you not expect to be noticed by his family or friends if you willfully act against the inclinations of all? You will be censured, slighted, and despised by everyone connected with him. Your alliance will be a disgrace. Your name will never be mentioned by any of us. These are heavy misfortunes. But the wife of Mr. Darcy must have such extraordinary sources of happiness necessarily attached to her situation that she could, upon the whole, have no cause to repine. Obstinate, headstrong girl. I'm ashamed of you. Is this your gratitude for my attentions to last spring? Is nothing due to me on that score? Let us sit down. You are to understand, Miss Bennet that I came here with the determined resolution of carrying my purpose. Nor will I be dissuaded from it. I have not been used to submit to any person's whims. I have not been in the habit of brooking disappointment. That will make your ladyship situation at present more pitiable, but it will have no effect on me. I will not be interrupted. Hear me in silence. My daughter and my nephew are formed for each other. They are descended on the maternal side from the same noble line and on the father's from a respectable, honourable and ancient, though untitled, families. Their fortune on both sides is splendid. They are destined for each other by the voice of every member of their respective houses. And what is to divide them? The upstart pretensions of a young woman without family, connections, or fortune. Is this to be endured? 
as it must not, shall not be. If you were sensible of your own good, you would not wish to quit the sphere in which you have been brought up. In marrying your nephew, I should not consider myself as quitting that sphere. He is a gentleman. I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. True. You are a gentleman's daughter. But who was your mother? Who are your uncles and aunts? Do not imagine me ignorant of their condition. Whatever my connections may be, if your nephew does not object to them, they can be nothing to you. Tell me once and for all, are you engaged to him? I am not. Hmm. And will you promise me never to enter into such an engagement? I will make no promise of the kind. Miss Bennet, I am shocked and astonished. I expected to find a more reasonable young woman. But do not deceive yourself into a belief that I will ever recede. I shall not go away till you have given me the assurance I require. And I certainly never shall give it. I am not to be intimidated into anything so wholly unreasonable. Your ladyship wants Mr. Darcy to marry your daughter. But would my giving you the wished-for promise make their marriage at all more probable? Supposing him to be attached to me, would my refusing to accept his hand make him wish to bestow it on his cousin? Allow me to say, Lady Catherine, that the arguments with which you have supported this extraordinary application have been as frivolous as the application was ill-judged. You have widely mistaken my character. If you think I can be worked on by such persuasions as these, how far your nephew might approve of your interference in his affairs, I cannot tell. But you have certainly no right to concern yourself in mine. I must beg, therefore, to be importuned no farther on the subject. Not so hasty, if you please. I have by no means done. To all of the objections I have already urged, I have still another to add. I am no stranger to the particulars of your youngest sister's infamous elopement. I know it all, that the young man's marrying her was a patched-up business at the expense of your father and uncles, and is such a girl to be my nephew's sister. Is her husband, is the son of his late father's steward, to be his brother? Heaven and earth, of what are you thinking? Are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? You can now have nothing further to say. You have insulted me in every possible method. I must beg to return to the house. And she rose as she spoke. Lady Catherine rose also, and they turned back. Her ladyship was highly incensed. You have no regard, then, for the honour and credit of my nephew. Unfeeling, selfish girl. Do you not consider that a connection with you must disgrace him in the eyes of everybody? Lady Catherine, I have nothing further to say. You know 
my sentiments. You are then resolved to have him. I have said no such thing. I am only resolved to act in that manner which will, in my own opinion, constitute my happiness without reference to you or to any other person so wholly unconnected with me. It is well. You refuse then to oblige me. You refuse to obey the claims of duty, honour and gratitude. You are determined to ruin him in the opinion of all of his friends and make him the contempt of the world. Neither duty nor honour nor gratitude have any possible claim on me in the present instance. No principle of either would be violated by my marriage with Mr Darcy. And with regard to the resentment of his family or to the indignation of the world, if the former were excited by his marrying me, it would not give me one moment's concern. And the world in general would have too much sense to join in the scorn. And this is your real opinion. This is your final resolve. Very well. I shall now know how to act. Do not imagine, Miss Bennet, that your ambition will ever be gratified. I came to try you. I hoped to find you reasonable. But depend upon it, I will carry my point. In this manner, Lady Catherine talked on, till they were at the door of the carriage, when, turning hastily round, she added, I take no leave of you, Miss Bennet. I send no compliments to your mother. You deserve no such attention. I am most seriously displeased. Elizabeth made no answer, and without attempting to persuade her ladyship to return into the house, walked quietly into it herself. She heard the carriage drive away as she proceeded upstairs. Her mother impatiently met her at the door of the dressing room to ask why Lady Catherine would not come in again and rest herself. She did not choose it, Mamma. She would go. She is a very fine-looking woman, and her calling here was prodigiously civil, for she only came, I suppose, to tell us the Collinses were well. She's on her road somewhere, I dare say, and so passing through Meryton thought she might as well call on you. I suppose she had nothing particular to say to you, Lizzie? Elizabeth was forced to give in to a little falsehood here for to acknowledge the substance of their conversation was impossible. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ballarat National Theatre's Adaption of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. I'm always thinking of what to say to our little podcast community here. It's like, you know, you can support us by doing the merch thing, by subscribing. You can leave a comment on your favorite podcast platform. You can buy some merch. And do you know what? Some days I just, I'm vibing that it's just amazing that you're all here listening to this and that we've all come through this amazing story in detail together at whatever point you started it. We love having you as part of this. It is just the best. Anyway, uh, this production is directed by Liana Skews. It is narrated by Olivia French. And it is prepared for production by Elizabeth Bradford, Olivia French, Liana Skews, and Marley Vanderbail. This episode features the voices of Olivia French as Elizabeth Bennett, Paul Roberts as Mr. Bingley, Liana Skews as Jane Bennett, Kiralee McCalla as Mary Bennett, Amelia Pawsey as Kitty Bennett, Liz Hardiman as Mrs. Bennett, Chris Hiscock as Mr. Bennett, and Ellie Krieg as 
as Lady Catherine de Bourgh. This podcast was produced by Ballarat National Theatre on the lands of our traditional custodians, the Wathaurong people. Cast recordings were made in the lands of the Wathaurong, Jajawarung and Wurundjeri people. Ballarat National Theatre acknowledges and pays respect to our traditional custodians and to their past, present and emerging leaders. Guess what, people? Guess what? There's only two more episodes to go, 29 and 30. Do you know what that means? Whoop, whoop, all aboard the marriage train. Thank you for joining me for the if you're listening at this point and you just listen to me bashing out a butchered theme of Thomas the Tank Engine thank you for joining me in my darkest moments oh gosh oh let's release another episode soon so no one has to hear that <laughs>